Jesus Christ who speaks up in Mark chapter 13, and he tells the men, stones and buildings are not part of God's eternal kingdom. They were shocked. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemmer. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are learning the Bible. And as we learn the Bible, we're going to talk about it in about three minutes' time. Stay there. It's going to be very interesting. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? All right. Well, we've, we've already looked at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and we've looked at the Garden Tomb, and now we are going to compare and pit them up against one another. Ryan? Today I'm going on location to talk about prophecies made about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament book of Psalms. Look forward to that, Janice. Today it's our Friday wrap-up question of the week. I'm going to take a look all the way through Mark chapter 1 through chapter 13. So I hope you've read and you're ready to answer. Mark 13, 1 through 13. Then as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, See what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand, or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. Mark chapter 13 and 14 is what we study today. Tomorrow, Saturday, if you have the Bible guide, it goes into Mark chapter 15 and 16, the end of that particular gospel. Now, we learn so much when we listen to the words of Jesus. In fact, we learn about history. 
about God's plan for humanity, about ourselves, about God's plan for us, and even about the future. Christ taught not only about events that would happen soon after his ministry on earth, but also about what would happen to the world as God's plan of redemption draws to a close. Life will not always go on as normal. God will bring an end to all the violations of justice. People will see God for who he truly is, and they will have to acknowledge him. And Mark chapter 13 is a shorter, more concise version of the message that we've already read in Matthew 24. And it plays into the Christian understanding of the last days. God's mercy and judgment will bring to a close the sinful reign of man on earth and ultimately usher in his kingdom. Roughly 2,000 years out from Jesus' prophecy, some of it has found fulfillment. While we wait for Christ to return, it is good to be aware and vigilant. We are living in a very unique time in history. We are in the last days. Days that I believe are ushering in the coming back of Jesus Christ, the King. That's a very interesting time to be alive at this moment. And so God has designed us to be here at this time. And so we need to focus on that. Today, the last days. As we study this, take your Bible guide and turn to it. Call us or write to us for a Bible guide or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. It's a very interesting time to look at. And Father, we pray today as we study what you've said about the end of time, as we look at how you have positioned us in it, help us to see the truth because a lot of people are deceiving. A lot of people are just believing all kinds of things, but Lord, there's what you said and there's how your Holy Spirit has dictated it to us. Help us to see that in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen and amen. All right. Now, keep this in mind, because let's go to Mark 13. This is what Mark said, quoting Jesus, or looking at what Jesus said. Here is what he says. 13, verse 1. Then as, we, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. How beautiful this is. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another, that shall not be thrown down. Jesus told his disciples that the stones and the buildings do not make the kingdom of God. We are people who trust in buildings and things, but God teaches us to trust in him. Now, if you take out a dollar bill, take out a coin, it says on that in the American currency, in God we trust. Beloved, we trust and we know that the people of God are the kingdom of God. Next one, 13.3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him this question privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all of these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answered them, began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Deception is a key factor in the last days, beloved. Jesus Christ has come and will soon return. Let's keep that in mind. 
deception is a key factor. And as we live in today's world, we have to understand that there's very little that we can trust. And the more spiritual in the word of God we get, the more spiritual in the word of God we understand, then we'll learn how to decipher truth. And there's, believe me, right now, there's a lot of things going on that have never gone on before. They call it record-breaking in the news, but I'm telling you that God is doing something. We need to get ready because the Lord could come at any second. We need to be ready for that. All right, let's go back to this, 7 to 13, really interesting. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, 20 years ago, I read that line and I didn't believe it. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, that's spiritual kingdom against spiritual kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows, but watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will be brought before places or before rulers and kings for my name's sake, for testimonies to them. And the gospel, the good news must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you speak. But whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death. And father his child. And children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now look at this line. But he, this is the really important, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. We will survive in the last days with the help of God's Holy Spirit within us. We must pay attention, be obedient to God's Holy Spirit in his word. A lot of people have said to me, well, how come you believe it's the last days? They believe that for, you know, 2000 years and it's not been the last days. Actually, number one, they did not have Israel as a nation. We do today. In fact, Jerusalem is bigger than it's ever been. A little over a million people there now. There's a lot of things we didn't have. Science is, we're going to the moon. We're doing this. We're doing that. Science has got us all Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. When people begin to travel fast, when people begin to create science, that's the day. Be careful, Daniel. God has already predicted this. So, beloved, let's hear this. Never before in history, in the last hundred years, have we ever traveled as fast as we travel and as high as we travel today. How many million people are in planes over us at any second of any day? It's incredible. Science is unbelievable. Over 80% of scientific journals have been published in the last 60 years. Beloved, we are in the last days. 
So let's pay attention. Let's watch Israel. Keep an eye on Israel, God's people. That's very, very important. Let's keep an eye on Jerusalem, God's city. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. All right, well, like I said at the top of the program, on Wednesday's show, we looked at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. On Thursday's show, we took a look at the Garden Tomb that's also called Gordon's Calvary. And if you missed those two shows, don't worry, head on over to our website or to our YouTube channel. Both you can find Bible Discovery TV. Uh, and you can rewatch those episodes if you want to get information on both of those sites. But today, we are going to be pitting them up against one another to really get to the heart of the debate over these two sites. Take a look. Modern visitors to Jerusalem can visit two sites that claim to mark the location of Jesus' crucifixion and burial. The traditional site is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The other is known as Gordon's Calvary or the Garden Tomb. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is located in the busy Christian quarter within the walls of the Old City. Its location likely has a lot to do with the Garden Tomb's existence. The Gospels indicate that Jesus was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem and buried in a cave tomb nearby that was part of a garden. It's hard to imagine a quiet garden here, and the church seems hopelessly within the boundaries of the city. British General Charles Gordon pointed instead to the Garden Tomb located just north of the Damascus Gate. But today, we have access to more information about first century Jerusalem and tombs than did General Gordon in the 1880s. And while the site of the Garden Tomb displays an ancient tomb much more effectively than the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, it may be standing on misinformation. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre, on the other hand, may preserve the site less naturally, but the tradition on which it stands is well established. First, it's known from the records of Josephus that the area where the church stands was originally outside the city walls. It was incorporated into the city shortly after the time of Christ by Herod Agrippa. It's now known the site was originally a limestone quarry and was used for tombs in the first centuries. After AD 135, the site was completely remade by Emperor Hadrian, who filled and leveled it to build a temple to Venus. Impressively, 200 years later, during the reign of Constantine, the Christians of Jerusalem identified the site and the man-made structures were removed to reveal first-century tombs. As for the Garden Tomb, Charles Gordon didn't spend a lot of time, at least officially, investigating it particularly. He was more focused on the overall site of Golgotha, which he believed to be the limestone hill into which the tomb was dug. The problem with the site is that the tomb is in the midst of an 8th century grave complex. The Garden Tomb appears to be identical to them. It follows all the known patterns of 8th century tombs and breaks all the patterns of known 1st century tombs. In short, it's from the wrong era to be Christ's. 
Today, knowing what we do about the location of Jerusalem's wall and first century tombs, the battle is intellectually decided. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is much more likely the actual place of Golgotha and Christ's tomb. These two differing sites, however, both offer valuable experiences for the Christian pilgrim. One offers a history of church building styles while preserving what could very well be the tomb of Christ. The other offers a peaceful place in the midst of a modern city to go experience what it might have been like to be the disciples on Resurrection Sunday. So there we go. You know where I stand on the issue. I really do think it is so valuable to visit both sites. There's something so special about the location of the garden tomb today, how it's protected. Uh, it just, it just, it's from the wrong era. So it, I don't think there's a possibility that it could be the original tomb of Christ, but it is still extremely valuable experientially to go and visit it today. And I mean, I talked about the merits of both in the segments. So you know where I stand. <laughs> it, it, it's very interesting because there's a lot of people who are have feelings about this, and the feelings are based on their emotions. Yes. And we can't make decisions about the sites on our emotions. We no. have to make decisions about the religious sites on the history. Yeah, exactly. I agree. So that's very good. So I, I, I totally understand that. Uh, nevertheless, okay. By the way, uh, you can join us on the 21st of October. It's coming up soon. This is the 9th. So, uh, no, it's the, what is this, Friday? This is the Yeah, this 7th. is the 6th. 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 I'll get it straight sooner <laughs> or later. But on the 21st, we're going to be live uh, with you. Not just live on the internet. We're going to be live with you at In Faith person. Gospel Tabernacle. That's right. It's going to be very exciting. You're going to do some stuff. You're going to do some stuff. Mm -hmm. You're going to do some stuff. Mm -hmm. And we get we have question answer. We'll we get... may even throw in some Bible IQ questions. I, I think In how person. many here would like them to see the Bible IQ questions? questions. <laughs> Raise your hand if you'd like them to see I the would. Bible mm -hmm. IQ questions. Uh, right. We all voted for But they all have to answer. Yes. The people who come. We need a break. Maybe we'll ask you the question. Oh, oh, oh there. See, it's the there plot it is. thickens. Okay. There we go. Mm -hmm. So the challenge <laughs> is put forward. So go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and register. We have to make sure that you... We know that you're coming, so we can prepare the coffee and all the stuff that's coming up for that. So join us the 21st of October, right? Okay, so today I'm really excited because we're going to go on location to talk about a very important topic, and that is Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Now, prophecies regarding the Messiah were given so that when the Messiah showed up, we could identify him. And these prophecies are all throughout the Old Testament. But today I just want to focus on the book of Psalms, because even though it's poetic, it is nevertheless very, very detailed. Check it out. Hi friends, it's Ryan Hembry here, and this video is all about messianic prophecies in the book of Psalms. That is to say, predictions that were made about the coming savior of the world. Well, it's a really exciting topic, so grab your Bible and let's go. Okay, so the book of Psalms, which is also known as the Hymn Book of Israel, is a true masterpiece orchestrated by the Holy Spirit of God himself. And even though the book is poetic in form, it speaks just as clearly about the Messiah as the other Old Testament books do, and it does so with great frequency. That's why Jewish believer Arnold Fruchtenbaum summarizes the Psalms as poetic versions of the messages of the Law and the Prophets. The whole book of Psalms, he says, is full of profound doctrine 
and deep spiritual truths couched in poetic terms. I couldn't agree more. And regarding the promised savior, the psalmist wastes little time as messianic prophecies begin as early as Psalm 2 and progress to reveal the entire messianic program, including his first coming, the interval, the second coming, and the coming messianic kingdom. And as a few examples, consider Psalms 16 and 22, which both teach that the Messiah would die and rise again. As a matter of fact, Psalm 22 gives such great detail, more than 20 specific details, regarding the terrible sufferings the Messiah would face that it could rightly be called the poetic version of Isaiah 53. And the second part of this psalm exalts the Messiah and speaks of the future establishment of his kingdom. And this, of course, presupposes the resurrection. Psalm 2 also speaks of Messiah's coming kingdom foreseeing his rule over all the nations with a rod of iron. Psalm 80 centers around Israel during the interval period and ends with the anticipation of the second coming and the national salvation of Israel. And how do we know that this is during the interval? Well, notice that the Son in verse 15 is at the right hand of God in verse 17, having already been raised up. And Psalm 110, even though it's only seven verses long, prophesies of the entire messianic sequence. But just who is this Messiah? Well, significantly, there's only one person in all of human history to whom all of these details can be ascribed, and that is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. As the 18th century English theologian John Gill put it, they cannot with any tolerable color or pretense be applied to any other. As Jesus himself said in Luke 24:44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. All right, so that was just a really quick overview of some of the amazing messianic prophecies in the book of Psalms. But there's more to this video, and if you want to see the uncut version, then you'll have to head over to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, and look for the video called Prophecy in Poetry. And please do feel free to share these videos with others as well. Yeah, it's very important uh, to check out the uh, the YouTube site, but uh, also keep in mind that Bible Discovery TV is where we are. That's the site that we own, so we keep that in mind. Okay, uh, the question that I have is, Corey, this weekend, you do some interesting things with your husband. I do. And you do something else, and I would like to know what they are. <laughs> yes, okay, every single weekend, Matlock and I, Matlock is my husband, Matlock and I release uh, Bible Discoveries weekend show, and basically what we do is we just talk about issues that pop up as we're reading through the Bible. There's a lot of reading that we pack in here at Bible Discovery in a week, as you know, if you're following along with us. So Matlock and I slow it down, and we have an opportunity to discuss some of the issues that pop up in the scriptures. And we also take viewer questions and we discuss them as well. So if you want to check that out, it's at my YouTube channel, which is Corey Babechko. And I also release a 10 minute ish recap of all of the chapters that you were supposed to read in the Bible. The idea being it helps test your memory, but also get you caught back up if you've fallen behind. So again, all of that is released on my YouTube channel. And we, we got to keep that in mind because people can watch it when they want to go to yeah. your YouTube channel, but also just as a matter of interest, we have a live, what's called a linear channel or a regular TV channel on our website, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. If you click on watch Bible Discovery or BD Family and Friends, that's it's on there too. Yep. And so you can watch it on there. And so I enjoy watching that. I actually just put that on and it just goes on all the day while I'm doing my work and I can see the different things we're doing. So 
Very good. That is excellent. Yeah. We also have Sheree Joshua on there. We have mm-hmm. Jim Cantillon on there. Mm-hmm. Jess Cantillon programs you produce, right? And uh, it's really good. And soon we're going to have your program. God willing. Which is yeah. going to be called? By the Book. By the Book. I love yeah. it. I love the title. <laughs> By the Book. And we're looking at the new year, 2024. That's what we're looking at. We are. So and we've got some exciting things coming up. You guys didn't know that, did you? Now you do. <laughs> we heard it here. It yeah, happens yeah. Heard it quite frequently yeah. here. Uh, yeah, we hear a lot of things on the air. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I was just going to say earlier, this is a nanny story. So all of those uh, nannies out there, it was really cute because this station that Rod's talking about is playing on a big screen in his office. And I was sitting there the other day and there was a, a Bible Discovery TV program playing without the sound. And it happened to be on my segment. So... Elias, Ryan's youngest boy, came through and he looked at the TV and then he looked at me and then he looked at the TV and then he looked at me and he said, Nanny! And then he pointed to the TV and then me kind of like, how, how is this working? It was so cute. Yeah, that <laughs> it is was good. one of those really sweet good. little moments. Like, how can you be here and then? <laughs> All right. So here we are with the Friday wrap-up question of the week. A lot of you are very serious about this, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to deliver the question. Ryan and Corey are going to answer, and then we're going to see where your standings are. Who were the sons of Zebedee? Mm. Who were the sons of Zebedee? Number one, was it James and John? Number two, was it Simon, Peter, and Andrew? Number three, was it Philip and Bartholomew? Who were the sons Mm. of Zebedee? Sons of Thunder. Good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just did a segment on this, so. You better know <laughs> oh, I it I better then. know it. Yeah, I, we're going to go with uh, number one. Yes. Number one. James and John. All right. Well, if you were paying attention, if you were reading, and if you agree with Ryan and Corey, you are absolutely right. Now, Rod, you just gave away the bonus answer Sorry. of what Jesus <laughs> called. Sorry. I know, I know, but that's okay. Let me read where I got this information from that reading. Mark chapter one, verses 19 and 20. When he, this is Jesus, had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. Verse 20. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. I got to do it one more time. October 21st, that's the day. Make sure you make plans to be with us at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton the afternoon of Saturday, 1 to 5.30 p.m. We'll be there live and we'll like to meet you there. My daughter's going to be there. My son's going to be there. Janice is going to be there. My other son's going to be there. It'll be great to see you. Father, today we pray, Lord, help us to grow and trust in your Holy Spirit each and every day in the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen.